0: Welcome, everyone, to Moment of Truth, the podcast of American Moment. My name is Saurabh Sharma, the president of American Moment, and I'm joined by
1: Nick Solheim, the COO of American Moment.
0: And this is episode one. Um, We're really excited. We've been working for almost a year now on this new organization called American Moment to solve some of the problems that we see on the American right today. And there was no bigger criticism that people who believe in the American nation, supporting American families, uh, protecting our industries, and so on, had of the Trump administration, then the failures to create a new class of people to come in and support the agenda that he advanced. And so we have been working on American moments since April of 2020 to solve that problem, because it's going to keep happening. There's going to be, and and I hope there is, another nationalist populist president elected to the presidency. But if he doesn't have the people in his staff, in the congressional offices that form the United States legislative branch, or in the conservative nonprofits that are essential to ensuring policy gets made, then he simply won't succeed. And so what we wanna do is build an organization that takes young people who are civically minded and who share our priorities and equip them with everything they need in order to develop the institutional expertise, the power, and the experience that they need in order to be as successful as possible. And this podcast is designed to further that end. Nick, what exactly are we trying to achieve with this?
1: Yeah, so this podcast is really meant to uh, provide a space for us to, to you know, have conversations about what's going on in American politics and on the right, uh, and kind of talk with the experts, uh, you know, the people who really know what's going on, who are working hard to solve a lot of the problems that, you know, afflict Washington and the American people and, and really get a dumbed down version for, for people <laughs> like me who, you know, don't like, didn't really come from a political background and are, you know, learning about a lot of these things for the first time. Um, I, this is really a space for us to have those conversations and to kind of provide a, uh, A four dummies version of uh, American conservatism.
0: You may have seen online or in a book or in a magazine or a short piece or something references to nationalism or economic populism, um, you know, a new right or something like that. And the problem is, is that as much as we love a lot of that content, some of it's very inaccessible. You may look at it and be like, I have literally no idea what you're talking about. And you should not feel dumb for it. Nick feels that way quite a bit, very often. <laughs> and what we want to do with Moment of Truth this podcast is essentially create a space where we can get back to basics and talk with important leaders, thinkers, entrepreneurs in this space and, ex- and have them explain to us what it is they believe, how it aligns with what we're trying to achieve, and hopefully light a fire under you, the listener, in order to devote yourself to doing this work uh, in the long term. And so Moment of Truth, this podcast, is a part of what we're trying to achieve with American Moment more broadly. And the other elements seek to serve this goal as well. You know, Moment of Truth is original content that we're putting in something called Amcanon that seeks to distill the best books, essays, podcasts, YouTube videos, short pieces, Twitter lists, newsletters, every level of content complexity in order to make sure that our audience of young people from ages 18 to 25, are able to have the 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 information diet that they need in order to understand politics the way we do. And there's other elements to what we're doing as well. We have just launched the interest list for Summit, a conference on American statecraft that we're going to have this summer. That conference is going to seek to bring together Uh, 300 young people in our audience who we want to network with each other, we want to equip them with an understanding of politics in the way that we see it by listening to speeches and seminars from important leaders. And we want to show them the path forward as we go into a Biden administration and seek to build on the gains that we made during the Trump era. We're also launching the uh, application form for the Fellowship for American Statecraft, which is going to be a paid summer fellowship designed to give young people the credential they need in order to come into Washington and work on Capitol Hill or in a political nonprofit full time. And so you can find both of those things as well as the rest of what it is that we're trying to achieve and a founder's letter at AmericanMoment.org. But this podcast is going to be a little bit toned down. You know, we, we're we going to be enjoying an occasional beverage here. We're going to be talking to friends of ours um, who are guests on this podcast. So we're going to keep it professional, but we're hoping to maybe make it a little bit more low key and a little bit less buttoned up, uh, even though I'm a fan of suits. It's, you know, G- Nick here is dressed in just a button up shirt. I would
1: say everyone else showed up today. I, I feel like you can call it semi professional because all of you showed up in suits and I showed up, you know, in jeans, boots, and and this button up shirt. So I feel like you can get away with saying it's semi professional. I bring the semi.
0: That's right. You know, Nick is just a homeless person that we picked up off the street <laughs> uh, that-, that decided to be my co host again. You know, I kind of wandered outside of our office today and was like, Mayhaps someone would like to do a podcast with me. (laughs) Um. (laughs) You know, I I am actually like,
1: you know, prior to, you know, us having this idea like a year ago today, I was... I was not a podcast respecter, um, as they are called. So this is a uh, this is a big deal for me to be in front of a podcast mic and with a co-host. Um, not something I would have done a year ago. So something to be celebrated.
0: Right, and and we're by no means expecting Nick to carry the hour by himself, and that's why every week when we release this podcast, we're going to have fantastic guests, friends, allies of American Moment, and pioneers that we see in this space. And the first ones we're going to have are two dear friends of. Of this podcast, this organization, and ourselves, Sagar and Jetty and Marshall Koslov of the Realignment Podcast. Sagar, in addition to his work on that podcast, is the co-host of of rising on Hill TV, where he created uh, an institution, really, I think when he started, it had almost zero subscribers. And now it has well over a million. And he's also kindly agreed to be a board member of our organization as well. And so we're big fans of him. He's been a pioneer in this space in terms of advancing this, this positive nationalism that the American right can embrace thinking more critically about the ways that we can be entrepreneurial on economic issues, on trade, on immigration on foreign policy, and so on, in order to make sure that we're actually serving the voters that we claim to be representing. And his co-host on the realignment, Marshall, is uh, uh, an interesting figure in and of himself. You know, in terms of parallels, I would say that Marshall is to Sagar what Nick is to me. I'm the the excited, uh, overexcitable human being who can, you know, see squirrels and chase them down and get bored easily. And Marshall and Nick are are corresponding Uh, Calmer heads that that seek to explain to us what's doable, what's what's common sense, and and what's realistic. You know, it's anyone in my family is gonna laugh at hearing you say
1: that. And I have to say too, like my favorite thing about Marshall, especially you know after the the you know hour that we got to talk to him today. Marshall always brings the receipts. Like if that's if there's one thing I can say about Marshall, it's that like he's he's always got like a rebuttal and he's got all the evidence behind it. The things that you've tweeted, the the things that you've said publicly, yeah. he is ready to rebuke you for the things that you've said. Uh, but no, I re- I really love Marshall and Sagar a lot. Uh, we had a really great conversation with them today, um, yeah. and I'm excited for everyone to hear. It.
0: That's right. And you know, in addition to his work on the Realignment podcast, Marshall does a lot of important. important Important work at an organization called the Lincoln Network, which is different than the Lincoln Project, that weird assemblage of never Trump uh, potentially pederasts by the look of it based on some news stories that have been released recently you can google that if you're curious um don't but, don't google that but, well, yeah, <laughs> i would not google it's, that it's bad but but the lincoln network is basically an organization that seeks to take uh the tech industry in silicon valley and elsewhere and bring it into the policy world of washington dc and hopefully have some synthesis because really tech is the future and and to even distinguish tech as a category at this point is sort of to miss the point it Permeates everything that we do. It's core to what American Moment is doing, and it's certainly going to be fundamental in the society that we're hoping to build. And so we had them on for for uh, almost in, uh, well over an hour, actually. I think we're going to edit it down um, uh, to talk about a wide range of issues, what their read on the realignment the thesis of their podcast is, what they think about the Biden administration, the priorities that they've been advocating, and also you know something a little bit lighter, what they think about games stonk the the manipulation of uh, the stock price of GameStop Corporation by Wall Street Bets. And so I really enjoyed the conversation. I don't know how you felt about it Nick, but I just thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah,
1: I yeah, know it was awesome. Um especially enjoyed talking about GameStonk as a longtime Redditor and Wall Street Bets yeah. uh subscriber. Uh, yeah. I've been wanting to talk about yeah. Uh, how I feel about gamestonk for a long time uh, but we dive into a lot of other important yeah. issues as well and and today was a really great episode
0: yeah I mean I think as of recording this I am 23 and Nick you're 23 and about to turn 24 correct correct right so we're creatures of the internet we grew up on it and so uh, it was kind of a lot of fun for us to experience that uh, at every level but uh, no we had a fantastic conversation where we're, we're huge fans of the realignment podcast we think it's done extraordinarily important work in terms of shaping the contours of the of the discourse in this space really and uh we hope to be you know building on that work being complimentary to it we think you should subscribe to the realignment we hope you'll subscribe to moment of truth as well Uh, but without further ado um please uh welcome our guests Sagar and jetty and marshall koslov and marshall thank you for coming on good to see you man what's going on good to have you we're i know. guess we're not having you yeah, yeah. i mean we, we're <laughs> having, having you here that's right this is going to be a little bit of a different format i think than most of our podcasts because it's going to be like interviewer against interviewer i'm uh, expecting clash our producer jake was very worried about this he was like is marshall just good so uh, please be gentle with us we are new at this um <laughs> How goes the realignment? You guys are the hosts of a podcast called That, and now we're in a Biden administration. So how does that thesis stand up?
2: I mean, I think the thesis stands up perfectly. well. It's funny. You know, people always assume that the podcast was like, it was all about the populist realignment with Trump. I mean, that's how it began necessarily yeah. with the thesis. I think that thesis was largely, I wouldn't say proven wrong, but definitely had some challenges. This is something Marshall says on the pod all the time, like realignments are value neutral. Like, yeah, a suburban white realignment into the Democratic Party is also a realignment and the Joe Biden presidency is like the apotheosis of that realignment. So, hey, I think it worked. Yeah. And let's
3: go into the what the Joe Biden presidency is doing. They're actually appointing great people in China, Rush Doshi, like all these great people who in a... Post Obama, Hillary Clinton, America would not have actually been in the administration in the same respect. So the fact that the Biden administration has to confront the China, China the way they are is huge.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like you know we're recording this at the beginning of February, and we've seen a good spate of appointments from mm-hmm. the Biden administration. You know, it's not the sort of thing that applies to easy categorization like his appointments on trade have been good like I retweeted a line from one of his trade representatives not too long ago it appears that they're going to be taking the china issue somewhat seriously like beijing biden is a meme out there and there's mm-hmm. certainly a lot of credibility to that but it's it's not clear that biden's going to be as easy a mark for this as you think you know looking forward into this you know next year the next 4 years What is it that you guys think that he's going to lean in on in terms of, uh, you know, the more traditional Democratic coalition and and where do you think he's going to lean more into this neoliberal, uh, you know, realignment coalition for the Democratic Party?
2: It's very hard to predict, Zarb. And the reason why is they've learned all the lessons that you can as a center left liberal. To a reasonable extent, so they're not going to repeat the same mistakes, which is what I think my fear—I think a lot of people's fears were. For example, today we're taping this in early February. I looked at a story about the immigration orders, and they were like fearing a migration crisis at the border. They will not be repealing Trump immigration policy, and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, like they're actually smarter than I give them credit for. Honestly, yeah. I mean, he promised on the campaign they was going to repeal it on day one. You know, deportation moratorium turns out that that literally got struck down within like the first couple of days Mm -hmm. because of a trump appointed judge so you can actually see that look i don't think anyone's going to repeat the 2014 era like DACA crisis, rush at the border ever again. It was just so colossally stupid, and then also obviously led to the backlash. That's not going to happen. Same on China, like you said. Like I know some of these people who are going to the administration on China. No one is going to say a rising China is good for America anymore. <laughs> which I mean, he said that in like first couple of days in the campaign yeah. trail. Very quickly recalibrated. So the thing, oh, same with healthcare. You ever heard a word about universal healthcare in the last couple of days? Mm-hmm. No, and there's a reason for that because they know what happened in 2009. So. I cannot predict like what it's going to be. I think something will come. I don't know what it is. And I know it will be 10 times worse if they don't pass a COVID relief bill within the next couple of months. But hey, look, I mean, they just went for reconciliation yesterday or that we're taping this in February. So I think it was end of the last day of January. That's whenever they went for reconciliation. I don't know how that that's going to play out. But again, I don't see the same mistakes that we saw last time. I'm curious what you think, Marshall. Yeah, the key thing,
3: and Sagar hit on this is that if you're going to categorize the Biden people, these are center-left neoliberal technocrats. The whole point of being a center-left neoliberal technocrat is you're not going to make the same mistake twice. You can say, look, in 2014, we did this at the tail end of comprehensive reform. That led to a Trump backlash. and Now we can't do that now. I will then not do that again. Anything that you could basically take in a Georgetown class is not going to be the problem. <laughs> now, the weakness of that ideology, and this is where there's going to be a lot of opportunity for folks like yourselves, is it's not good with new things. So that's point. If it isn't in the textbook, if there isn't a tidy narrative, the other area I'm really obsessed with is how COVID-19 is going to shape this debate. For example, a lot of people on the right were saying, oh, the second there's a migration crisis, they're going to fold like Obama. No, they're not because now there's the excuse of COVID. So rather than having to like shift and say, well, no, we're not doing this because we're monsters. We're different than Trump. We're doing this because we are hardcore on Mm -hmm. keeping America safe from the virus which Trump failed. So that's the strength. And the weakness of the ideology.
1: Well, that's the interesting thing about all this too is you know you heard so much uh, being hyped about like the return to normalcy, mm-hmm. and it's it's it is in like some ways you know in like how they act and and you know like optics basically, but you know we've really seen a lot of things stay the same. You know, like you said, I mean, I was reading the Axios China newsletter earlier today, and sure. Bethany Allen over there was was reporting about you know how uh, Biden has instructed you know, people in all different areas to incorporate China into their policy, you know, whether it's at at energy or defense or or whatever, like all government departments are um very focused on, you know, the mm-hmm. China issue. So it does kind of seem to be, I don't know, an interesting fusion, I guess, of Trumpist policies uh with Biden.
2: Yeah, it's you know it's so interesting too, because you think about how they've learned these lessons, but it's like Marshall said, and Marshall actually said this a couple of times, which is that They're cowards fundamentally. And so where that is going to come into play is going to be really interesting. And what he means by that, I think the coward point, I'll let him expand on this, is that like whenever the dominant progressive left, you know, the ideology permeated in the media and more, you kind of saw this during the riots, Black Lives Matter protests and more, they're just too afraid to say anything. So that's why you can't predict. Like, I don't know what that's going to be. A guess that I might have is that like some center left mayor somewhere is gonna be on the wrong side of like a Black Lives Matter protest or like another Capitol Hill, whatever the Capitol Hill autonomous zone. And then the media is gonna go like kind of in and then Biden and them will flub it. And then it will be like a national conflagration and the right will rise up. Like this is basically how you got the Tea Party back in 2010. I predict some sort of cultural backlash will come in some way, just because these people at the end of the day, like their libs like they're liberals so they're gonna overreach on something and that is what the right will be able to glom onto and they're gonna rise up from that
3: yeah i want to expand on the coward point because it's really important to understand the taxonomy of the democratic party here so i'm from portland oregon and the coward comment was in reference to mayor ted wheeler so at the height of the craziness with antifa in portland i had all these friends who would say oh man portland's crazy ted wheeler's this socialist marxist no he's (laughs) not i know for a fact if we brought Ted Wheeler in here kept it entirely off the record even in July he would have said this is crazy this is out of control yeah. however i'm currently being pi- being primaried by an actual Marxist. And I'm afraid of doing this because I also don't want to be said as Trumpy. So the second that Trump lost and was out of the picture. And I predicted this, then Ted Wheeler gave his big speech where he's like, enough (laughs) is enough. (laughs) We are going to have order in our streets. We are not going to put up with this. So that's the point. That's cowardice. But there's a difference between cowardice an actual like extremeness. So there's yeah. obviously people in the Democratic Party which are anti sympathetic, but to understand the Biden administration, you have to understand that the Ted Wheeler types are in the Biden administration. The Antifa types are very much shut out. But like Sagar's yeah. point was, they in many ways are gonna have the opportunity to shift the debate in a way the Biden people probably won't be ready for.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I think disaggregating Biden the man versus literally everyone else in that White House is extremely important. Um, it's funny, uh, uh, th- th- there was someone who once tweeted that, you know, when you're voting for president, don't really base your vote on who's on the top of the ticket. Sure. Base it on who's going to be running the Office of Civil Rights at DOJ because that gives you a much better sense of clarity about how the administration is going to actually operate. And so... At the same time that I'm like sympathetic and supportive about the moves that the Biden administration has made on trade and China, I also look at their first non-COVID legislative proposal as this giant amnesty package. And I'm like, okay, no, you're not that serious. You're utterly beholden to progressive priorities on this stuff. And it just doesn't seem clear to me that he's, I mean, unless they're actively rooting for like a big legislative loss so they can write off Congress and not have to bother I don't know why you make that as big a priority as they did at the beginning.
2: It was a mess up, but I'm also, this is where if I was a progressive leftist, I'd be cynical, which is that thing has no chance of passage, zero. And so you're like, yeah, look, I introduced it on day. It's actually an easy way to like, basically nullify the progressive leftists Mm -hmm. by being like, I did what you said on day one. I appointed this and I ordered a review, which (laughs) will never get unreviewed of like migration policy, which basically keeps everybody remain in Mexico, I think is probably not going to go anywhere because Mm -hmm. if they actually did that, Mm -hmm. it would be insane. I mean, a return to catch and release is like the Mm -hmm. greatest victory that the right could have Mm -hmm. under Biden administration. So look, I think you're right, which is, and this is the key point, which is, do you think Biden actually wants like 11 million? Maybe, I, I don't know about that. I, do you think it actually would be his like very first thing he'd do in office? Mm-hmm. No, he recognized that it was an opportunity. He's like something that he had to do. So the question, it's like you said, was, is this something that they're legitimately going to do? And if they were, that's when I looked to the executive action. And that's where this, again, if I was a leftist, I'd be pissed because I'm like, oh, like he's just ordering a review of the Trump policy. And even though he said he's with us and he, he introduced this bill and like there's obviously no way that he, Joe Manchin or I mean, like Marco Rubio and others were correct. But this is where like I'll put on the, I think Biden is a fool hat, you know, Mm -hmm. for the last 11 days, which is, look, this guy could get 75, 85% approval rating. All he has to do is do two things. Pass $2,000 checks, vaccinate every person in America. If he actually did 100 million people in 100 days and gave everybody a $2,000 check, he'd be the most popular president in modern history outside of George W. Bush, who had the 9-11 bump, right? And, I mean, that's not really happening. So I think that not giving a very clear direction on the checks and on covid relief mm. and like prancing around with susan collins and lisa murkowski and all of that <laughs> it's just wasting time mm. and i'm not saying i'm a, like by b- b- bipartisanship and other things but look like republicans understood this like on their first day um in office they went for budget reconciliation on obamacare because they're like yeah we have unified government we told our base we're gonna do it and we're just gonna do it um and i think that the 2k checks were so important to the democratic elections in georgia that by not going for it like day one, Mm. I think that was a mistake for him. And now budget reconciliation takes a long time. I don't think enough people understand that. Like Mm. we're talking about over a thousand amendments. Mid-March is like very optimistic. So yeah, like look, if he flubs that, I think he's gonna have a big problem in his presidency
0: so you you referenced back the beginning of the Trump administration yeah. versus the beginning of the biden administration and and that's a contrast I can't help but draw every single day mm-hmm. um you know we're, we're both pretty young but I was politically aware at the beginning of the Trump administration and I was paying attention and you know it was clear that there was a disconnect between the campaign that Trump ran on and then the way he actually started to govern upon entering office right um do you see the same disconnect with the biden administration how are you comparing the general competence or the effectiveness of the way the Biden administration has come in. I mean, to put cards on the table, like I look at the Biden administration and I see people who are serious about wielding power and I don't see the right uh, as it existed uh, right around 2017 as serious in the same way. (laughs) Let
2: me say this. A lot of the people that Trump hired were morons Mm. and what i mean by that is that like you said they were not serious about wielding so like okay let's say that the travel ban was the right thing to do on day one i think it was pretty dumb but let's say it was maybe write it correctly You know, so it doesn't get struck down in a court Uh, or on census or on DACA. I mean, go down a million different things where they easily could have done what they wanted to if they hired not even a second rate lawyer, like a third rate lawyer in Washington, like the most basic, you know, graduate of a law firm. And they were unable to do it because at the end of the day, most of these people were clowns. They were just chasing clout on Twitter or, you know, wherever else or their new future job or the $50,000 a month Qatari uh, law firm. Qatari lobbying contract. And most of the people that Trump hired who were serious about doing something were serious about actively, not I wouldn't even say subverting his agenda, but like actively making sure that many of the things, the good things that if he ran on to any extent didn't happen. And you saw this play out within the first, what, three months of the administration, six months of the administration. I was like, this isn't serious. The
3: the key thing there. Actually, Nick, please come in.
1: Well, I I was just going to say that I, you know, you'd think that'd be something that They would have learned over time, you know, especially as they went through so much staff that they (laughs) that they would have learned to like, you know, I don't know, change it up. Like, let's hire someone that knows how to do their job. And you get to the, you know, to now these like lawsuits that that are coming Mm -hmm. out, you know, that have been in Georgia, where like. Things are like misspelled, literally. You know misspelled. they don't. Like, yes. and it's like, man, they didn't learn anything Whoa. over like four and a half years.
3: Here's yeah. the key thing, and this is where I will be as most like Lincoln Projecty annoying <laughs> ever. <laughs> At a certain point, the buck stops at the top, right? Like, 100%. there's no we here. It was Trump. Like, yeah. let's get real here. Like, yeah. the, the, the recurring story of why was the campaign in 2015, 2016 totally crazy? Why was the start of the administration totally crazy? Why were the lawsuits a disaster with with the with President Trump? Mm-hmm. And the thing that I was most frustrated by, and this is the part which made me. Ha- this is the the mo- the biggest positive from a pure dc inside baseball thing about a biden win was it was the direct response to all of the folks who inhabit various parts of the right who spent the first 3 years of the trump administration saying things are never going back to the way they were you neoliberals and all you people who think <laughs> the Cold war it's just it was ridiculous. it's like no actually most people are pretty normal. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of people didn't like trade policy and a lot of people thought Obama were all sort of yeah. mistakes, but no one asked for incompetence. No one asked for any of these things. And the key thing for any right movement going forward is just embracing the fact that actually a lot of people like that Joe Biden, at least for a politician, seems to be pretty normal. Mm-hmm. And the other funny thing that Republicans would do when they cell phone during the campaign was say, Joe Biden can't do anything.
0: He's just going <laughs> to sit in that office. I'm like,
3: I don't
2: know. That sounds pretty good.
0: He's yeah. not
3: tweeting.
2: I- it feels pretty chill. Yeah. <laughs> so let me pick up on this because it's actually Because if you look down at the data, which is that there were hundreds of thousands of people across the country who voted Biden top of the ticket and Republican down ballot enough so that if they had voted for Trump, Trump would have won the election. Mm -hmm. No question. Georgia, Arizona, Omaha second. You can see that the swings in all these places are crazy. And you're like, okay, that tells you that they just really hated Trump. And this comes to exactly the point that you made, which is around the chaos. I mean, the Trump autopsy that just came out from their own pollster, Tony Fabrizio, it talks about this. They're like, yeah, if he had literally just been like, wear a mask, probably would have won the election. Here's another one. If he'd been like, maybe vote by mail, probably would have won the election. There's like two or three discrete different things you can just say. What what are we talking about here? Sixty five thousand votes across three different states. It's not that many votes. Like, it's actually pretty easy to win. And so you look at that, and I think it all comes down to that fostering of the chaos and the lack of seriousness with which he would treat policy. And yeah, look, people like to make fun of me and be like, oh, you only care about his policy. But I'm like, okay, well, look, I'm not saying the culture war doesn't drive American politics. I think it does drive the majority of the American politics. But on the margins, it makes a difference. And in the
1: margins is where you lost the election. Not enough people have been willing to have that conversation. Well, and I think another thing to yeah. you know Marshall's point um, is that I you know I think in 2016 a lot of people wanted to do something different. Um, mm-hmm. You know they they kind of had this consensus for a very long um, period of time, and people were like, "Man, I'm really sick of this. Like, I I, I want to yes. do something different." Totally. Um, and that different thing was so poorly executed and done that. After four years, people were like, all right, well, we did that different thing and we really hated it. So can we please like go back to normal? And they don't really care, you know, like what those consequences are. They just want to go back to, you know, not having to care about, tweets not mm-hmm. having to care about, you know, all these all these different things, not having to be like exasperated about whatever's on the news, you know. Um, and I think Trump ultimately like bears a lot of that responsibility.
3: Let me pick up on that because I would disagree with the fact he's doing clash. It's very important. <laughs> I
1: would disagree with the fact that- yeah, Marshall is
3: just the squishy neoliberal
0: we decided yeah. to bring on. <laughs> right neoliberal. It's very, very,
3: very key with that. No, the key thing here is people would care about the consequences. So I don't think that voter- who wanted to return to normalcy would vote for Bernie. This is like the thing I'll push back on the populist left. Whether or not Joe Biden is this president or not, the thing that he clearly demonstrated in his campaign and his rhetoric and his not being very online is just the idea of like, come on, man, yeah. we're just gonna do stuff. Yeah. That's just like that. the, the yeah. whole point of the saga oh, okay checks and vaccinations cases mm-hmm. that's such an excellent mm-hmm. like that that is grown like that mm-hmm. is made in a factory to be like who would you want to have the democrat campaign what what democrat would you want to have run in 2020 it was biden yeah. maybe that's different if covid was if, if covid wasn't there but i think that was a strong case which would not have been true if it was Bernie. so, been, so
2: yeah. let's talk about the right then this is a great and this is something i keep i'm like all you have to do is pass this Checks and win the election. It's not hard. Yeah, like shut up about oh socialism and all that. Yeah, it worked in Florida. Did it work everybody else?
0: No, it didn't. Um, are you are you saying socialism sucks is not the be all? Oh yeah, right wing electoral strategy.
2: Shocker, right? (laughs) Oh yeah, you geniuses lost an election in Georgia twice. Arizona. How do you do that? I mean, it's unbelievable. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, go and look at the. Everybody's talking about the Latino swing down in Texas, right? What happened? They went and asked them. They're like, number one, this is always my favorite. They're like, well, gas prices went down. I'm like, yeah, I don't yeah. I really have anything to do with it, but like, cool. Oh, take it. Yeah. Uh, what's the second one? I got to check with Trump's name on it. That's it. It cuts through the sh- stuff. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. you're like, you can't put, you can't, we had Derek Thompson on our podcast recently. You can't Fox News or MSNBC your way out of, I had X in my bank. Now I have Y in my bank. That's it. That's the most Mm -hmm. clear thing. I had a shot in my arm yesterday, and now I can go to work. Now I can go see a movie. Mm -hmm. Now the economy is open relative. It's basic, pure competence. And like, there's this right nihilism around government and around spending in particular. I know know, it's hallowed ground where we're sitting right now, but like, I think it's important that a lot of that stuff get ditched. Take a look at the COVID relief talks, like, right now. People have learned nothing. We're talking about a $600 billion package. I mean, you have r- Republican governors begging for more money on national television. Jim Justice in w- in West Virginia, yeah. billionaire Jim Justice, <laughs> yeah. is, like, is like, please, Joe Manchin, give us some aid. In Missouri, they're like, hey, you're actually defunding our cops because we can't pay their damn bills. Yeah. Like, listen, it's a basic level of just like, the, right ha- the entire national right in Washington has memed itself on the wrong side of an 85-15 issue. And this is the like, key
3: thing <laughs> I want to pick up on here because I'll speak up for our normie conservative listener <laughs> who says, but Sagar, I really do in a good faith yeah. way believe in debt and deficits. That's totally fine. That, yeah. that actually is totally fine. fine. That's a yeah. real constituency. The thing that is frustrating, a thing that you guys should be mm-hmm. working to help people develop is a better framework for considering those questions because I don't want to ask this in, a ba- in the bad faith way many people on the left ask. It's like, no, Normicon. we were totally fine with this in 2017, 2018. Yeah. It seems that with an election at stake, yeah. We should probably be fine with it again yeah. and then develop a longer term framework for actually thinking about debt and deficits in a proper manner. So it's the lack of a framework and it's just the resorting to generic terms like our grandchildren. Yeah, and it's just, it, it's
2: it's Lobsters. Lobsters. If I hear about a <laughs> lobster again. I <laughs> so, so
0: I guess this is my question yeah. to y'all. You yeah. know, there's a lot of people um, that I think fall into the trap of believing history began in 2016 but it certainly didn't. You yes. know there's a there's political continuity in Washington and elsewhere that has existed for decades. And so I'm very curious cuz you guys have been here longer than we have. Mm-hmm. A, I want to hear your story of how you got to the point where you're at now, because you know we have a lot of young listeners, people who are starting their careers, people who we want to help encourage to get into the political space, because I think more serious people who are aligned with us ideologically are going to be the key to actually preventing the mistakes of the Trump administration. So A, how'd you get here? And what are the things you can point to along the way, the kind of anomalies and the failures of kind of, as Marshall uses, the conservative welfare state yeah. that would lead to this crisis of imagination on things like covid relief or or any sort of policy i mean looking at the trump term two agenda it was clear that like they were really scraping the bottom of the oh, barrel there wasn't a lot there and like a campaign that was won on immigration restriction, foreign policy restraint, and like trade protection was parlayed into a 2020 campaign on like criminal justice reform, tax cuts, and judges. Oh, don't forget cutting social security. Well, but, well, but this, <laughs> yeah. well,
2: like
3: before we do in our stories, let's argue about this. But Trump won more votes. So, the, yeah. the, the, so, the, the, so no. So this is the, this is a key thing, which is that. I agree with the policy. This is where like the policy politics debate yeah. matters. I agree with your policy critique mm-hmm. of the vapidity of the 2020 campaign, but you did CJR, you did all the things you just said were bad and Trump won more votes. So there has to be a different causal effect here. So like yeah. what 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 is going on there? Why did Trump betray the legacy of the good part of 2015, 2016, yet win more votes.
0: I mean, I think that the entire national political environment was polarized into greater levels of voter participation, and it was easier to vote than ever before. And so, yeah, it makes... I mean, this is why where I try to have like the 100-year historian distance Mm. view of this sort of thing, which is that take the anomalies of Trump and Biden aside, you would look and say oh, they made it easier to vote in this election. Therefore, more people voted. Like that that seems to follow. And yeah. like if you take away the particularized context on the ground.
1: Well, I still think too that, you know, even though a lot of these policies were you know i would say probably not everyone's pet issue uh that
3: i love the difference between twitter nick and podcast nick by (laughs) the way (laughs) very very moderate yeah i'm like
1: i'm like trying not to go uh you know full fed on the podcast (laughs) but uh but no i you know i think a lot of the um a lot of the things that the trump administration were working on you know that may not be like pet issues of your average suburbanite um you know i i think what the what trump actually campaigned on was still a lot of the culture stuff like yeah. mm-hmm. they hate you you know they won't help you they don't you know care about you all these different things um and and i ultimately think that's one what won him all those votes no no, no. Um, you're right and, yeah.
2: but there's a key lesson in that which yeah. is that what's the problem though which is that you can now win elections based on that alone. It's always which is not fixed question. You can yeah. win just on that. So, yeah. if you do care about these things like mm-hmm. trade and immigration restrictions or other things, many things mm-hmm. I care about a lot um, and came to care about, this answer to your question which is that we have to balance that. I think that I probably overlearned the lessons of 2016, mm-hmm. which is that I saw what happened and I bought into the thesis mm-hmm. of what you're talking
0: about. You wrote about. a whole book about it. Wrote the Populist Guide it. to 2020. Right got you're it right sitting,
2: there. You're <laughs> sitting in on the table. It's true. Look, I'll freely admit I was wrong. I was completely wrong.
0: Um, and I think that on the which, margins- Which, let me be very clear. Yeah. Most people in Washington do not say that. No. And it's it's it. one of the reasons I have, you know, you know I've known you for a yeah. couple of years now, Sagar, and like it would have been very interesting if you- did not learn any lessons from 2020 yeah. uh, and you you did and like See, you're i want honest. more votes like what am i supposed to say I'm like no i, I
2: don't want to like meme myself and be like actually they're all voting for what he said in, i
3: mean three years ago the entire no, institutional
0: right true. is basically an exercise in not being held to account well, for this results. is
2: why working in media
0: is better than work yeah well that's, yeah. That's, the perfect, yeah, yeah.
2: that's the
3: perfect pivot to the origin story here Yeah, because look a it's awesome that you guys are doing a podcast because Sorry, I talk a lot about this on the podcast. We really are in the middle of a Richard Nixon, JFK moment in the sense that the medium that politics is actually interrogated mm-hmm. through is completely changing. So, you know, 1960, you go from stodgy stuff to like now you're on TV.
0: So we yeah. don't have we anymore. don't expect anyone to read these. Um. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. So this
3: is okay. Diff- Huge change in medium. Yeah. If you guys build a genuine audience, people will buy these books. Yeah. Oh yeah. We just launched a bookshop mm-hmm. where we actually advertise books. People buy it, yeah. because the whole point it's of like this media is it's buy yeah, from yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. like from your bookshop. That's why it's cool, because it's like, hey, like I like Nick. <laughs> I like Saurabh. They want to recommend me something. Yeah. It's an intimate yeah. medium. Yeah. So the point is, and this is what any young person should think about, is if you are in the middle of this huge change where institutions as a whole have less power, they have less influence, they have less trust, what are mediums where you can act where you can actually build something so frankly if i were recommending something to a young person i'd say hey maybe worry a little less about getting a op-ed placed in national review or the washington examiner and worry more about building up your Substack. worry more about like meeting you guys and getting on the podcast Be more online. Like the funny thing is like, there's this weird dynamic where people could be too online. I think the two of you guys definitely get there sometimes. But that being said, that being said, you guys are friends because you actually met online before you actually came into this space. I met this guy online. Yeah, a college student. So there's a a, a weird mix of both being online in order to get into these spaces. let me put it a better way. You guys being on Twitter the past year is more valuable than you doing an internship with the Heritage Foundation. And that is an important dynamic to consider.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. And this is the, you know, in terms of the lessons being learned i think it was not you have to be the problem as you identified around why people don't admit that they're wrong is because they can't professionally mm-hmm. as in like when your funding depends on a narrative and then that narrative turns out to not be true what do you do yeah i mean people a lot of people in this town found that out in 2016. Yeah. so that's what i would tell people out there who are young I think we were both very fortunate in order to not have fallen into that situation. Mm-hmm. And the other key point is to constantly reassess like what you're being told, which mm-hmm. is like, I had a worldview in 2015, which was like, wrong. I mean, my view currently, like, wrong. And there were people that I listened to about it. Mm-hmm. And then Trump won the nomination. And I was like, well, a lot of these people I was listening to were not <laughs> correct about yeah. what animates Republican policy, all of this. And even then, I was still pretty like, I don't know, this Trump guy. Like he's kind of And then he won the election. And I was like, oh, my God, this guy won mm-hmm. the election. Like That is so crazy. The guy yeah. I used to watch with my dad on The Apprentice is the president. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Mm-hmm. Again, you update your pride. You're like, okay, here's it. Like I said, probably overlearned that lesson, mm-hmm. learned a different one in 2020. That's what I would tell you is don't fall into – look, reflexive politics will teach you nothing. Zero. If you fall yourself into reflexive politics, you will just be an annoying troll of the left or be an annoying troll of the right. Believing in something will always get you much farther, Mm -hmm. but it's much more risky which is, look, I mean, you know, a lot of people didn't believe what they lived in 2016. And this is where there's like a particular odiousness of a lot of people online where they're like, oh, you weren't there in 2016. I'm like, so like you're here now, like who cares, right? Like, isn't that the whole point of, the whole point of politics politics (laughs) is convincing people who you don't agree Mm -hmm. in order to update their ideology Mm -hmm. and agree with you. And so, yes, I think that if there was a story of, you know, what we tried to do, it was very much that is create a space of being like, you know, I don't, I don't know about this. And originally, that was towards the establishment mm-hmm. consensus. Now, in many ways, for our many con- most for our MAGA listeners, I'm like, listen, some of the stuff that you guys thought was just like not true, mm-hmm. and you need to update your. Cons- Look, I'm not going to make any money off that. I can tell yeah. you, like, yeah. it's much easier to be like, the election was stolen, and oh, this is that. That's I can make a lot of money doing that. Not going to. But that's the problem: is the incentive structure all the way around really doesn't come to. It doesn't it does not reward this type of behavior mm-hmm. i would say
3: so, i want to build on yeah. something because you you said my my watch phrase yeah. i guess which is conservative welfare state <laughs> basically the, the origin of this phrase is the recognition that you come to dc i came here in 2015 so did he we met at gw but this was our re-entrance into the space mm-hmm. and there's a million fellowships, different organizations, things we're thanks, creating where, one. <laughs> yeah, but you guys are, you guys yeah. actually, you guys are technically, you are recipients thereof, but you are yeah. not a part of technically. Yeah. Yeah. It's a complicated taxonomy. Yeah. Basically the, the point here is that there's a very well-tread path for you. The thing that's terrible at that path is that this isn't the Bush administration. So mm-hmm. if this was the year 2002, man, like aside from like, do you like sign up for the, like the military or not? The idea of showing up in DC during the Bush year I would recommend join the welfare state, go spend two years at a think tank, go to a good law school. You'll catch the tail end of the of the um, of the Bush administration. This system works and delivers for you exactly what you need. The problem, and we've seen this a million different ways, is that this is the idea of a political realignment, which, as we said, we disagree about a bunch of things, but we all do agree though that American politics and technology, media, organizations are in a state of transition. If you go into a traditionalist structure in those moments, Mm -hmm. you are screwed. So perfect example of this. Sagar and I had to go through this three or four different ways he can expand on it. One, Saga goes to rising, doesn't go to like a more
0: traditional conservative publication. People are like, that's crazy. And you were offered we, other jobs. Other jobs. I right? remember talking to you about we, this. Yeah. We, we, go, we,
3: go, we go start a podcast. People are like, what are they doing? Even people who support it, say, that's a crazy thing to do. We start focusing disproportionately on tech relative to the rest of the space. People literally tweet like, why are they doing that? I don't get it. Lo and behold, guess what? A the same welfare state state organizations that didn't fund us frankly now consider us actually valuable in the space B, the people who went into that system frankly have frankly not performed and aren't going to really be people who anyone really hears about in the next Mm -hmm. three or four years to be honest and then finally tech is now everything so the key thing here is if you just try to I, i basically recommend a combination of things which is that Look, it's a system. There's money. Take it and don't be a hack and do good work. It's entirely possible to take a fellowship in a think tank and to do a summer program. We did a bunch of them; they're really helpful. But don't be a hack. And then finally, look at the future. Mm-hmm. Don't let people who came up in the Bush administration, or even the Reagan administration, tell you how you should approach the future. Yeah, hundred Mar-
0: percent. Marshall endorses our fellowship program. One hundred percent. No. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I mean, it, it's, it's, I think exactly right. And you know, you're talking about incentive structures at the end of the day. And I think so many of the incentive structures that that already existed in Washington, D.C would lead people down weird paths. And now there's a whole new set that you could lean into. And, you know, there's entirely new media. There's there's new organizations. There's there's new priorities that people have. And so it's the Wild West. And I think it's 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 a season for entrepreneurs. And I'm, I'm noticing that the sorts of people that are getting involved in politics now, the kids that have reached out to us prior to us even launching this, that are just like, hey, I follow your Twitter account, and you guys publish this we will not go back thing, and we really yeah. love it. Right. They're the sorts of people that we want to have in leadership positions in 5, 10, 15 years. I think that now is the time for people who may not have been the traditional fit for politics, but are the better fit for politics, as opposed to the people who are really good at playing the ladder. And that's what you guys did. You were mm-hmm. entrepreneurial. You created something new in a city that's always about, you know, snapping up the little dregs of whatever's left. I mean, that's East Coast mindset versus West Coast mindset. You had Balaji Srinivasan on your podcast talking about that. And it really resonated with me. And that's what we're trying to do as well.
2: Yeah, it's funny. You know, I mean, I'll, yeah, like from my own background, everybody told me not to take Risings. Everyone, they're like, yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah. You had
0: zero subscribers, yeah, zero, no, 6, 000, sorry, 6, zero, six thousand. Sorry, six thousand, and now Very you have—is like, it over a million?
2: Yeah, one point one million. Man. So it's like one point one million in less than I think yeah. less than
0: two. Are years, you gonna so set that, your YouTube on fire a or whatever? Like, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but no. But the, the, the key point is, everyone's like, no, don't do it. Go take that. You know, I had another job offer as a White House correspondent, and I was like, yeah, I don't really want to though. Like, I don't really like doing this. Yeah, and they're like, yeah, but you gotta, you, you just have to, and yeah. it's like. The end state of that would have been like begging for Fox News hits. You know, that was like the amount of media yeah. exposure you would get. And just like doing the traditional circuit, talking to the mm-hmm. same people. I was like, I don't want to. Yeah. Same with our podcast. It was the same thing. They're like, well, why don't you talk to, you know, everybody interviews like the same five people. We're yeah. like, no, we're going to interview these guys on the West Coast. They're like, why? Like, who cares? Right. Like, what do they know about what's happening here? That's what I would caution people. And the I mean, look, it's actually a great time because, you know, in many ways, the right is becoming just going right back to sleep. You know, I can yeah. already see the machinery all revving up yeah. about, you know, trying to convince Grandma to send me five dollars in the mail in <laughs> order to fight back against the Big Bad Biden. Yeah, um, and I'm sure it'll work. But there's a lot of people out there who are sympathetic. They're online. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's funny. Like when we when we do the show, I can see like the level of influence and just like how as you said younger people i'm not gonna say how they think but like how they consume and who they consider an influencer it ain't the same way here here they are begging for tucker carl to go on tucker carl's like look for example like i was on fox a couple days ago Mm -hmm. uh i think there were like a couple million people watching maybe like two people tweeted at me Mm -hmm. about it maybe two I can't even do a single segment on my show Rising without like 200. Yeah. I probably get like four or five thousand, you know, mentions or whatever mm. a day and people who would come on my show or used to traditional stuff are like i have never seen this level <laughs> of social and i'm like yeah it's different you yeah. know and but the people here only speak one language they speak cable they speak mm-hmm. like i mean they understand twitter is important but then they think like comfortably smug or whatever is like the most important person on that platform and it's just like there's a whole revolution that's happening um underneath and the key thing here
3: is especially for your your young listeners who are looking to have a good framework for thinking about the world. I love how you're bringing up being an entrepreneur because that's basically the point of all these big media shifts. Mm -hmm. Aside from you actually being an entrepreneur, like it's a mindset too. On a broader level, look at the way the space looks right now. Mm -hmm. In DC, uh, I'm a lot less against great books than I used to be, but I'm still dispositionally Offended at the fact that if I am a 20 something nerd, there are 80 different ways I could get paid to read Tocqueville or Leo Strauss for the 80th time. So I've moderated my position. It used to be that yeah. you should never, ever, ever yeah. read anything because it's yeah. all nerd stuff. That's not quite yeah. true. There's value to be gained there, but I just noticed that there this huge overproduction mm-hmm. of concern. We all know who I'm talking about. Actually, there's we actually probably don't know because there's so many people who are thinking <laughs> of a different person in each of these cases. But there's this dude who has read too many, too much Leo Strauss, too much philosophy, and has nothing of actual value to add right now. Yeah. I want to speak to someone who's read about like the sovereign individual yeah. or who's read zero to one or who is reading and seriously reading The Once and Future Worker or even like Raihan Salam's Melting Pot of Civil War, which for the listeners is located right there, you have to think to yourself, where is the gap? The gap is on the policy side. The key historical bit is the reason why there's so much overproduction of great books is the theory that many welfare state funders held back in the 2000s was... The campuses are crazy, and in many ways they are crazy, yeah. but their solution was, let's create a bunch of PhD political theory nerds who will then take back the... It didn't work. Mm-hmm. It didn't work on 15 different levels, and now it's led to a system where if you come to DC, you are basically told through money, through fellowships, through retreats and everything, mm-hmm. the way you become useful is you become head in the clouds, very deep, like yeah. lack of experience in those spaces.
0: I mean, it goes to the theory of everything we're trying to build with American Moment, which is that... Actually, we're not looking for philosophy nerds. We really aren't. Like, uh, you know, I, I think the conservative movement right now has two answers to the question of young people. It's either giant, you know, red meat conferences like CPAC or, or other organizations' conferences, or like tiny academic fellowships. We are going to talk about academic philosophy all day, and like, you know, what we're creating with our summits and and, and our other programming is recognizing that no, we're going to take you seriously as a person who can actually think about policy issues. And we're going to equip you with the knowledge of how we could go about solving the crisis facing Mm -hmm. the country at a policy level. But we don't need you to become like a Heidegger scholar or like a Leo Strauss scholar or something like that. And the reason for that is because that's not that's not the squeaky wheel that needs greasing. Again, front of mind for us is the failures of the Trump administration when it came to personnel, and the problem there wasn't that people hadn't read enough great books. The problem was that people did not have the posture of competence, of diligence, of hard work, and knowing your. Oh, sh-. Um, and probably got one. Now I one, get to one do day, it. Now I get to do <laughs> we're it. We're going to um, believe that. I've but, been. Cur- but, I've been restricted. But 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 we're going to try censored. and fix that. And so, you know entrepreneurial attitudes go beyond just actually building something yourself. That's not the best fit for everyone. I think it also goes to being willing to step outside the comfort zone in terms Mm -hmm. of the predetermined path that exists for you in Washington, which is becoming less and less useful every day.
2: Let me issue this warning, though, to many of the... Because this is the problem, which is that don't overlearn the lesson of what we were talking about when it came to social media, because clout online is now being chased constantly by people and you know who you're out there on capitol hill and elsewhere who are just trying to get retweets and don't actually care about the policy so that's the main thing i'm like look obviously care care about being online like do engage in the discourse and all that but don't overlearn that lesson because it just goes to a place where you're not actually caring about mm-hmm. the policy and more. And this is where updating your- and don't read great. Instead of reading great books, like maybe read some contemporary books about what the hell is going on in the mm-hmm. country, mm-hmm. what's wrong right now, right? Read Dope Sick. Read Once in Future uh, a Worker. I'm reading a book right now about collapse of Enron. Like I've, I've read books mm-hmm. about. We're talking about uh, Wall Street and Watch the Watch Rising market. on the Hill
0: TV. Sure, <laughs> don't know to, but
2: like yeah. I'm saying, like actually inform yourself about what is happening and. think Think. How do I fix this concrete p- policy problem? Do we have enough in our, you know, current? I had an in- interview with Ben Shapiro once, um, and he was asking me constantly. We were arguing about policy, and he was like, "What's the limiting principle?" And I was like, "Democracy, man. Like, you know, like he was like, all he can operate from is this like philosophical background instead of thinking about concrete policy problems. I just don't think that that is the the right way to do something. Oh,
3: so this is where yeah. I can disagree with you. Yeah. Ben was onto
2: something there. Yeah, he was, in the correct, in, correct. in the sense that- Look, Pure and, direct democracy, obvious.
3: Well, no, 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 no not, not oh, yeah. even that though. Yeah. He is actually speaking to the value of political philosophy because like, conservatism actually is an idea. It actually is a thing. If there's a critique of the new right, it's that too many people over the past four years just threw things out there as in, we should do this and we should do that mm-hmm. and we should do this and do that. And because it wasn't actually built within something, because there wasn't actually an underlying scaffolding it could easily just fall away and there's nothing there. Without an underlying philosophy, it's very easy for new right ideas just to turn into Stop the Steel Bowl crap.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was good. That saying. was good. Well, I'm going
1: to say, you know, too, another reason why I'm, um, you know, really passionate about, um, you know, American Moment and everything that we're that we're doing is because I didn't have, you know, a lot of these opportunities that other folks had to. You know come and do internships and fellowships out here in dc um you know just a little bit of background on me like my parents were were missionaries you know i grew up in honduras i graduated from high school down there and and coming back to the states you know paying for college by myself i could never i could never afford to come do like an unpaid internship mm-hmm. in dc or or do you know spend all this time in the summer reading books like i i worked four part-time jobs to pay my way through college like it 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 sucked, you know. And really, the only way that that I've been able to get where I am now is is you know, even though I get much criticism for my for my Twitter, <laughs> uh, you know, I met my my best friends. I met Sarab, You know, we started this thing through Twitter. I met my girlfriend on Twitter. You know, um, you're the it's, apex e boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And listen, listen, I don't even have the Twitter app on my phone. Like, yeah. I, like I only do it when I'm on yeah. I'm on desktop. That's it. Um, but really, I think you guys are onto something. Uh, with finding kind of alternative Mm -hmm. ways you know not just in media but also like alternative ways to learn about stuff Mm -hmm. i mean Mm -hmm. it's ironic that i'm hosting a podcast now because a year ago i i don't think i'd ever listened to a podcast (laughs) like I, i i hadn't really like built my mind for like intaking knowledge i don't know like all i had to do was was work stuff and then i started listening to your guys podcast and then you know one of my best friends recommended i recommended i start listening to the portal and then mm-hmm, i started listening mm-hmm. to, to um the tack right now podcast yes. you know started getting into all this stuff and and really started learning a lot more but but i think you guys are really on to something with with saying that you kind of have to seek um those alternative kind of inputs i guess mm-hmm. for for knowledge and yeah
3: in this moment, specific because that's yeah. that's
1: the, that's the
3: key thing here. Mm-hmm. My whole point is, you could be a conservative and just spend the nineteen nineties reading like the most like basic Barnes and Noble sections. On Irving Crystal. yeah, yeah. No, but that would be actually very yeah. good because frankly, like that dictated a lot of things. But in this specific moment, I am more and more skeptical. I mean, look, let's actually let's talk about this, right? I was really frustrated by the right's response to the parlor issue mm-hmm. because it just demonstrated to me that so many people on the right like actually don't understand how the tech understand what the tech industry looks like. So mm-hmm. for example, like when Rachel Bovard would tweet, see, I told you so, you see a lot of people replying, Yeah, exactly. That's why antitrust is the answer. And it's like Dude, if you think that's the issue here, you don't understand no. tech policy because if you broke up Amazon into 50 different companies, spoiler alert, all 50 of those companies would also not host parlor. Yeah. That's not an antitrust question there. The issue there is that the tech industry is left libertarian in orientation and it's not going to be friendly to anything Trumpy. Now, you can do what you want with that fact, but if you're not spending time in these spaces, if you're not spending time reading, like read a perfect book we love. We had Mike Isaac of the New York Times on. Mike is very like much left, but his book on Uber was really great. Read the book on Uber and understand how mm. tech companies work. That is helpful, and that can help you dictate in what problem am I trying to solve when I'm ticked off at Amazon over mm. Parler? Am I ticked off that X, Y, and mm. Z thing happened? Or am I ticked off that a huge segment of the American economy, mm. everything from the smallest startup to the biggest company, is honestly controlled by the center left? Yeah. Think about it that way.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, there's this again i'm forgetting who tweeted it but someone said that there's nothing mark zuckerberg would like more than for the focus of conservatives ire as it relates to big tech to be conservative censorship Mm -hmm. like because that's not where his bread is buttered and like that's not a problem that has an easy solution but like if you start going to the like systematic problems with the way our technology sector is constructed the things that they're allowed to get away with in terms of data privacy and the corporate agglomeration and so on and so forth then then you're talking about real things and and those real things differ for different issues like again that parlor issue is not solved by breaking up you know amazon into a million constituent pieces we probably should but it's it's not the same thing and and you know again it's not it's never easy to be the one advocating for the sensible policy that'll actually solve the problem it's it's fundamentally unsexy work we we mm-hmm. said that in our founders letter for this organization but if you actually care about the results on the issues which is something that most of uh the political, you know, center right is not set up to care about, which is results, then it's really important to continuously fight for it and and to care about the specifics. Um, so we're taping this at the beginning of February. And I want to get you guys' take on an issue that has been dominating the news for the past couple of days. It's one that Sager has devoted mm-hmm. several monologues to That's on correct. rising. And it's, it's one that we've certainly uh, enjoyed uh, quite a bit. Ourselves, uh, game stunk. Um, You know, basically, for those who've been living under a rock, um, there was uh, an effort by a subreddit called Wall Street Bets in order to short sell, um, or, or short. Is that the term short, short sell? Short, sell. short, uh, short squeeze. Sorry, short squeeze. No, no, no. no. The, keep, keep, yeah. Keep okay, going. fine, fair yeah. enough. Um, <laughs> to,
3: it's to, just to, in a finance podcast. don't yeah, take any fine. investment advice. Sagar's
0: in a former <laughs> financial consultant, yeah. so um, he knows sure, this better than I do. Um, to short. Uh, the stock of GameStop, and it's resulted in this giant rally. The price is currently at like three hundred or something, and saying like that maybe mm-hmm. a crash this morning. I don't know, um, but I think it brought to light a lot of the issues that the new right, if you want to use that term, has been contemplating, which is issues of financialization of the economy, um, the state of 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 you know the 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 corporate sector more broadly, um, and you know the rights of you know individual people versus these big financial institutions, and so. Um, I think for me, at least, I found it very, very funny at a certain level. The whole thing was delightful to watch. Um, and I think that it really did belie a difference in terms of you know, the, the, the terms on which our financial sector operates, which is that there are these institutional actors that are the correct opinion on how a stock is valued, and individual people, they are the incorrect opinion on how it's mm-hmm. valued. And I'm not convinced that those institutional actors have earned that credibility um, that they claim to wield and that they're going to use the regulatory state in order to enforce. Um, so I I'm, I'm on the side of the wall street betsters. I, I do worry for them because I think a lot of them are going to lose a lot of money. And I, I think well, they already lost a lot. Of money. Yeah. yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, and I think it's funny, but at the same time, like I care about the results at the end of the day and people are going to be left with, you know, uh, a giant loss and, broadly wall street will be fine and so, so I'm, I'm not necessarily you, satisfied i'm
3: glad you brought yeah. that up sorry yeah. nick is just bursting <laughs>
0: Nick is like
2: nick
3: needs to say i something. have had i've had <laughs> thoughts about this for a long time you know
1: and i listen i took a lot of flack for for you know a certain tweet that i quoted mm-hmm. is that you know correct <laughs> yeah, sure. past tense yeah. uh about a month and a half ago where i said you know that the stock mar- i think all i said was the stock market is literally not real <laughs> and i would like to say that I think that kind of bears out like with everything that's been going on. um, I think a lot of normal people are looking at, um, you know, what's going on and being like, man, none of these numbers like ever meant anything. If if normal people can mess with it this much. Now, I do want to say, you know, to your point about um, a lot of people losing money. I don't know if or how long any of you have been on Wall Street bets. I've been on it for years. You know, yeah. I'm not afraid to out myself as a Redditor. I've been on for um, about a year. I mean, yeah. I'm probably on like a Fed watch list because of that, but <laughs> but I am on Reddit. I have been on Wall Street Bets. And a lot of people are posting in there, like, yeah, you know, I'm losing 100000 dollars but this is for you, dad. Like they mm-hmm. took your house in 09 and like I, I'm losing this money for you. Like I'm sticking it to them for you. Um, I think that's an important thing to note here that a lot of people are going to say, oh, you know, these Redditors, they, they lost a lot of money. I don't think they care. I think they wanted to stick it to someone and they wanted to watch them freak out in the media yes. and panic about what was going on. They don't care. And I think that's the number one thing that, you know, everyone, the media, Twitter, you know, pundits, whatever, have been missing this entire time, is these these people don't actually care about normalcy. They don't care about the rules. They want to stick it to the people that, like, ruined their lives yes. and ruined the economy. So I'm
2: glad that you said this. I actually have thought a lot about this. And yes, I mean, in the beginning, whenever it looked like what the story was, kind of like, and I actually broadly agree with what you were saying. The key point that I want to make is that uh, too many people are getting memed into supporting like free market libertarian speculation, right? Like they're actually meming themselves into supporting like Grover Norquist's long held dream of like cutting the capital gains tax <laughs> to zero percent <laughs> and allowing day trading and wild speculation. For everybody. Yeah, and I hey, saw that
0: like, guess s- what? Some libertarian yeah. think tanker yeah. certainly tweeted something along yes. the lines of like, can't wait for the result of this to be yeah. like a very online mob against the capital gains tax. And I was like, of course this no, is No, of course. No, no,
2: no. <laughs> but here's the, here's the thing. Wall Street owns the rails. They win. Like, this is like the casino. If it is a casino, as people are surmising, well, the house always wins. And there's a yeah. reason for that. And so memeing yourself into supporting like wild speculation is not the way to go. And so what I would say is that, you know, having looked kind of tried holistically is we have to look at what you talked about, which is that impulse. Why are so many people enthralled with the story? Because they're like, oh, finally, someone pays a price. This isn't the right way to do it, though. And this is where I would very much discourage people from trying to say, like, well, the way that we take down the ultra-rich is by, like, speculating together. No, I mean, that that's not, and it obviously didn't work mm-hmm. out, you know, in the long run. It worked out for a very, very few small group of people. Uh, the answer is something we've come to many times in this conversation. Mm-hmm. It's boring policy. Mm-hmm. There's actually some boring policy here, which could make it so that certain types of bets on Wall Street mm-hmm. go differently differently. And ultimately redistribution of like some power in our politics Mm -hmm. to people so they don't feel so alienated that they cheer on the destruction of a hedge fund, the way that hedge funds can operate in the first place. Like. The problem I have with a lot of this conversation is there's just a lot of nihilism around it. Like I tweeted about this and I was like, what if I told you that the best way in order to screw hedge funds was to like regulate arbitrage and increase taxes? And people were like, yeah, well, Wall Street would just hire a bunch of tax accountants. And I'm like, so the existence of tax accountants means we should never have taxes? Yeah. Like that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And I know that this is anathema to like a whole group of people, but the answer is not to this situation is not to just be a nihilist and say that we should, if it's all fake, then we should play the game too. Look, I mean, like you're not gonna win against billionaires. Like mm-hmm. I guarantee you, if that's, if your anger a billionaire rage is to try and play the same game as them, like they're gonna beat you. Mm-hmm. You know where they can't beat you? Like politics, this is the whole point of the state. And like, this is why we have government, which is that we should try and channel these legitimate grievances into actual policy on the situation. So a couple days now removed to the story. I'm really frustrated by how a lot of people have responded to it because they're like pointing it as if like Melvin Capital itself, which was the hedge fund, which went short and had to lose 53% of its value or whatever was the one. I'm like, guys, the top 20 hedge funds in America made $67 billion. I just checked in 2020, 67 billion. The other 19 are actually fine. In fact, many of them owned GameStop stock yeah. and are even better off because yeah. of this whole situation. So if you're actually gonna do something about this, channel that energy, which I do think is legitimate.
1: Mm-hmm. That's
2: the, I want want to I wanna, I don't wanna downplay like that feeling. It's just that I think it was being channeled in the wrong way. Yeah, and, yeah. What, and I
3: wanna build on yeah. a lot of that yeah, actually, because there's yeah. a lot of good stuff right. here. I'm glad we hit this. One, Derek Thompson, who we had on our February 2nd episode of the Realignment had a really great tweet, which is that people who think this is revenge on the financial industry for a variety of sins, well deserved, are like people who say, "Hey, you want to screw with those casino owners? Go charge into Vegas and, spend, and like win. That's how you'll do it." Like, no, that right. isn't how it's going to happen. The game and, is right. and, and, and yeah. this is and this is the key thing. And, and Nick, I'm glad you framed the 2009 example well because when Sagar and I have talked about this and tried to give the quote unquote moderate option, I think it's gone off of it's gone over people's heads, and like mm-hmm. it cannot be emphasized like how much crap people feel, how terrible they feel after the 2008 financial crisis. And this is also an area where the right was horrible. Look back. Yeah. At, if you actually look at the origin story of the Tea Party, upon reflection, it's it was against sc- Wall
0: Street. Yes. Well, and
3: not just that. Well, no, it wasn't against Wall Street. It was pro-Wall Street. Yeah. I like, think Rick, Rick Santelli, the whole point of the speech on where he have said we needed to have a Chicago Tea Party is when he said, we're not going to bail out mortgage owners. Yeah. And then all the people in the trading floor cheered. That's the origins, like that's literally like the framing story of the Tea Party. So rather than a nuanced conversation about like, hey, like how did the mortgage industry work? Like I actually like not to be all woke, but there actually is a very reasonable conversation to be had about like the reality of structural racism and like the apportionment of like mortgages in our society. Instead of like having that conversation, the right just like embraced it and thought that was awesome. Like, so... What's funny to me, Nick, is that if this were 2009 and we're at Heritage, we'd say like the Tea Party is awesome, but like you just said, people felt screwed over during the financial crisis. Well, the number one way we could have helped them during the financial crisis was maybe help people with their mortgages in a way that we could have done. So I think the right and a lot of people like us would have approached it differently if this were happening now, but I just want to hit that point.
1: Please. yeah yeah one well, i have to say too that you know I, I i don't think that this is the ultimate like solution uh, oh you know we're gonna stick it to him on yeah, reddit yeah, yeah. like that's gonna be a, <laughs> that's the answer you know uh i think this is event more than anything else it um, is event
2: look it's important and i think if anything it at least woke some people People are like man people are pissed out yeah people, i think that's pe- a good
1: thing people are yeah. really mad and yeah. and and there is a breaking point somewhere um about all of these things by the way and and Mm -hmm. some of them are correlated and some of them aren't but like culture finance all of this stuff um and people you wouldn't think are you know of being like radicalized by this stuff are so i promised him that i would bring this up Mm -hmm. um evie's dad who is my my girlfriend evie fordham uh Nice. Her dad, He's a girlfriend, guys, yeah, yeah just, just saying. Um, her dad is is in his sixties, and okay. he sent me this text in the middle of the whole gamestong thing.
0: Okay,
1: I know all of you are following GameStop. YOLO. I sold my tiny position at four twelve by luck. We'll go back in at one fifty if it goes that low. Three rocket ship emojis to the moon. So like a lot of these people, you know, are not just like mad about it, but are like also embracing the meme of it too you know and 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 i think even though it isn't like an ultimate uh solution and obviously like a lot of these people even though like i mentioned you know they feel like they get some like moral satisfaction out of it it's it's obviously not solving the problem i do feel like it was a vent for a lot of people to to you know kind of cast their um you know aversions to the system Mm -hmm. this is the
3: key thing though um especially to Evie's dad. And this is the key thing, though. The question is, and this is the big question of this moment when there's all this career lack of trust in institutions, when the system career doesn't work and it's all well-deserved, to what ends is this frustration directed, though? Because, and Sagar, you and I talk about this all the time. If the frustrations are targeted at nihilism, straight up, nothing is going to happen. Like actually, if, if if everything is turned into a meme, mm-hmm. nothing will happen, and then literally nothing will change on Wall Street. And then secondly, if that nihilism is then cha- then directed towards people who aren't quite scam artists or grifters, but people who have a lot of upside in a world of nihilism. So I'm speaking mostly to the crypto people who are like, yeah, like this is why we need to embrace this super libertarian decentralization of everything. Yeah, right. I'm like, I don't know, I don't the, think that's The blockchain <laughs> will redeem us
0: of our sins. So, you know, no, no, but, yeah. but,
3: but, that, but that's it. So I think the challenge for you guys especially is take this energy and direct it somewhere productive because I think on both of our ends we definitely don't see that. I would not look at what happened over the weekend and conclude that the right or even libertarians mm-hmm. or even like people like AOC are who were joining up Ted Cruz at least rhetorically are actually in the process of creating a productive conversation. 100%.
0: That's that's what we're for. Um, At the end of the day, none of us are in politics. uh, At least I can speak for Nick and I because it's the only thing we were good at. It's not the only reason you guys are in politics either. Both of you came from elsewhere. And I think that the task ahead is to direct actual competence and drive towards solving these fundamental problems, because otherwise, this is just a game. It's an industry like Washington, D.C., I never wanted to move here like the only reason i did was because i thought that there was an opportunity to maybe support and advance the sorts of people who are capable of actually solving problems as opposed to just enriching themselves over it um i don't want to do this forever i would love to work myself out of a job one day that would bring me great joy um you know but at the end of the day the only way that people are going to make any serious change is by being part of an institutional apparatus that is capable of driving policy in a way that matters. And that doesn't mean culture doesn't matter. It doesn't mean media doesn't matter. It doesn't mean any of that. It does mean, however, that you can't just rely on retweets. You can't 100%. just rely on YouTube views. You have to marry the like popular support with the actual policy. And this is what I'd say to Trump supporters, and I count myself among them. We have 75 million voters, but our entire elite class is morally and substantively bankrupt, and they have no interest in actually supporting the substantive policies that would support those 75 million voters. Instead, they're more than happy to grift you of your money, your time, and your energy in order to advance their own agenda and so that's what American Moment is for and uh, you know it's work that you guys are involved in doing with the podcast and your show at Rising and the work at Lincoln and it's work that we're trying to do with American Moment and so I wanted to thank you guys for coming Great. on uh, it's a huge get to get you know the realignment <laughs> podcast hosts on for our first episode we wouldn't be able to do it without you and um, thank you for all the help you've given us so far
2: our pleasure man, good luck thanks to good job man yeah thanks you guys thank you guys <laughs>
0: Every week on Moment of Truth, we want to highlight things that we thought were really important that were published, written, uh, video cast out into the world and you know that is the core of what amcanon is our content aggregation that you can find on americanmoment.org but we wanted to specifically delve deeply into a specific piece that we think helps explain some of the current events that have occurred over the last month or so we talked with Sagar and Marshall about Gamestonk a uh, a peasant revolt of sorts by Wall Street bets against the entrenched financial, overlords on Wall Street. And, you know, we have friends and allies at an organization called American Compass led by Orrin Cass that has done extraordinary work in exploring what it would mean to have a substantive economic conservative agenda in this country, one that isn't just libertarianism, isn't just free markets, and that's all they have to say. But it thinks about how we create an American economy that supports American families, that advances American industry, and ensures safety and security for all. And there was a piece that they had published not too long ago called Coin Flip Capitalism that talked about the hedge fund and private equity market. And it asked a simple question, is this actually providing value? And I think a lot of Americans, myself included, feel in their bones that a lot of Wall Street is just speculation. It's it's rich men in their rich suits in their rich buildings looking around and saying, well, I'm gonna take a bet on a company and maybe I'll make money on it, maybe I won't. A lot of jobs are gonna be hurt along the way and maybe I'll make a good deal of money. And so coin flip capitalism, which you can find on our website and on AmericanCompass.org, delves a little bit uh, into what it means um, to to seriously explore the, the hedge fund and private equity industry and whether it provides value. Um, and I think it was really illustrative to me in terms of thinking through these issues. I'm curious how you thought about it, Nick.
1: Well, I was going to say as uh, someone who has never owned a stonk uh, <laughs> I'm on this piece you know it's I really felt it in my bones I mean especially after following this conversation that we had with with Sagar Marshall about about game
0: stonk um a lot of I love how stonk is just in our vocabulary now. Yeah, like yeah. we're we're gonna make it a serious word that serious people yeah. say.
1: Well <laughs> you know it's funny, I, I I mentioned Evie's dad earlier in the podcast, and he he that's exclusively how he refers to it now. He just calls them stonks. I'm gonna go check my stonks. Uh huh. it has permeated American vocabulary. Meme culture is real. <laughs> it is, it is. Um but no, I think this really, you know, captured a lot of how I feel and I think how a lot of Americans feel about the stock market is that it's, you know, playing in it, being involved in it is almost unattainable. And and really, what is it? Sure. Um, what does it provide to our society, to our culture, um, or even, you know, to, to our economics? Does it make our country better? Um, and I think that, you know, Wells King at, at American Compass makes a very good argument Um that you know there needs to be some kind of change.
0: I think so, and you know the problems with the private equity and hedge fund industry uh, go deep. I mean, obviously, there's this very real populist reaction to it that that we feel deeply, and and that Nick does, and 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 others have, and clearly millions have, as they've you know engaged in shorting the stock GME just to punish these hedge funders. But there's there's real problems. It's not just that you know, poor people are having money and wealth accrued away from them in order to support the rich. Like it has systemic consequences for us. One of the points that I think that the article coin flip capitalism gets across that's so important is that the way the American economy is set up, if you're someone who's smart, who's, you know, high IQ or whatever, and you want to go out and succeed in the world, you go one of two places Uh, Either you go to Silicon Valley in order to monetize ads and the attention economy in order to get your seven-year-old addicted to the internet, or you go to Wall Street, where making an extra trillionth of a cent on a micro stock transaction is the name of the game, and you can get fabulously wealthy off of it. And there's a real open question, like, what could happen if we maybe directed those very smart people towards uh you know American industry to innovation to the space race to all of the sectors of our economy that are suffering you know our ability to respond to a global pandemic that we've just gone through or our ability to get me my jetpack whenever I'm going <laughs> to have it you know it matters where the elites of your society go and to have them go to this really morally and substantively bankrupt industry, I think is a problem.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um totally agree with everything that you said. And I I I really think that everyone should go check out this piece and check out American Compass in general. Um, you know, they have a lot of great content like this yeah. um written by people on on their staff that that really cover, you know, the the morally bankrupt things that are going on um, you know, in kind of the finance industry, but, but also not just that also in manufacturing and in the industrial part of our economy. I mean, a lot of these people really have sold out, uh, everyday Americans. So I highly recommend that you check out, um, American compasses content. And we have a lot of it featured, uh, on AmCanon at American moment.org.
0: That's right. And so, you know, Oren has created this fantastic organization that is really developing what it means to think substantively and conservatively about economics. So we highly recommend checking him out. Uh, We have his book right here uh, on our table here, The Once and Future Worker. Recommend checking that out as well. Please check out Sagar and Marshall's podcast, The Realignment. Um, We think it's awesome. It's featured on the Amcanon Master List of podcasts that we recommend you subscribe to. And also check out uh, Sagar's book, The Populist Guide to 2020. um, and, uh, you know, he's honest. He got some things wrong in that. So please feel free to give him some trouble on Twitter and stuff about that. Um, please check out AmericanMoment.org. We have all of what we're trying to achieve with this new organization on there. Our Founders Letter, Canon, the applications and interest lists for uh, the Fellowship for American Statecraft and Summit as well. And Thank you for taking a listen. We're still working on this. We don't know exactly how this format's going to go. Please send us feedback. Give us a review if you don't mind. And, uh, hopefully, and make sure to
1: remember to subscribe.
0: That's right. Subscribe <laughs> as well. Look, again, we're new at this and we're, we're trying to, to iterate. But we hope that uh, this was good, that you, you enjoyed listening to it. And we're excited to build this new organization, this podcast, and this movement in the years to come. Thank you.